Well, good morning, church. Wow, you're going to have to forgive me this morning. This is going to be weird. Um, It has been a while. So if you don't know, my six-year-old daughter, Clementine, she survived an AVM rupture, an arteriovenous malformation that she had in her brain. She was probably born with it, and it ruptured about 24 days ago, about 24 days ago, exactly 24 (laughs) days ago, but who's counting? And... um, and it was, it was an incredible, uh, it, was a, it was our darkest day. It was the scariest moment of our lives. The AVM rupture, it's very similar to a brain aneurysm, just has a different uh, source. And uh, so my daughter suffered from this and survived it. And uh, so many miraculous things came together on that day for her to survive, but not only survive, but to come through it with flying colors. And uh, we've been in, uh, we've, moved from Dornbecker's Children's Hospital to uh, Randall Children's Hospital, where we've been in uh, rehab therapy, physical, occupational, and speech therapy for two weeks. We'll be there for maybe another two, maybe another three more weeks. Um, But they are so excited about her progress, about what she will be able to do. She will be back in kindergarten in just a few weeks. Um, They said, long-term, if there are any impairments um, left over, Only Joanna and I would notice it. And so we are praising God. This beats all the odds. We have experienced a miracle. And and let me tell you, it it changes you, right? I've been changed in a lot of ways. And um, just one of the ways that I've been changed is that I am, I'm way tidier than I've ever been before in my entire life, right? When you live in 200 square feet with your wife and your daughter for three weeks, you want things tidy, right? Um, we, I have one drawer for myself for all the things that I'm going to wear. I get one, when, when you have one drawer for all the things that you wear, you find out real quickly which pair of pants it is that sparks joy in your life, right? <laughs> it's these ones, people. These are the ones. Uh, you know, I needed some pants to help me out this morning, so these are them. And it's been scary to think, you know, so we've been living this life for three weeks, almost a month, and we're trying to figure out how do we re-enter into quote-unquote normal life. I had a normal life. I had a normal job. I, ha- I could expect what my week would look like, and then boom, this happens. And at the same time, God's miraculous hand was in it, and God gave us a miracle, and we are changed for it. But I got to tell you, I long for normal again, right? As humans, we long for normal. We long for routine. We long for something that is expected. And so here we are, here I am, trying to get back into what's normal. This is normal for me. Being in worship is normal. Preaching and talking about God, this is normal for me. So I'm so excited to be here today to preach on this passage. The church has routines, has rhythms, has patterns. One of those patterns is called the lectionary. The lectionary are selected readings for churches to read on Sunday mornings and for pastors to preach on. And I don't always go to the lectionary. I don't always go to this cycle of scripture readings. Um, For one thing, the lectionary skips over some stuff. And and other times, I want to just spend some time in a book. And so we'll do seven weeks on Philippians. And so sometimes I get a Away from the lectionary, but the lectionary is always there whenever we need a little bit more normal, whenever we need to get back to the usual. And so today's scripture reading 
comes from the lectionary. So many churches around the world, um, churches that stick close to the lectionary, will have heard this scripture of the nets full of fish, of Peter catching this catch. And so I'm excited to preach on it. And also as Peter experiencing a little bit of a miracle. Peter, like myself or Simon, uh, before he experienced this miracle, like myself, had a pretty normal life, even if it was a little dull, even if it was a little boring. Peter, Simon, before he met Jesus, had a pretty normal life. He was a fisherman. So what this meant was at some point in his life, uh, he was, because he was a male child, grew up in a Jewish culture, he went to synagogue and to be educated. And so he learned the Torah, he learned uh, how to read and write, um, and at some point, probably when he was about 10 or 11 or 12 years old, a rabbi came to his synagogue to meet all the boys who had been educated. And the rabbi would look out over these boys, would test them, ask them questions, see how well they are doing. And to the cream of the crop, the rabbi would say to one of these boys, akaluthemoi, which is Greek for follow me, follow me. And if you were one of these boys and a rabbi, a teacher said to you, follow me, you got lifted out of whatever socioeconomic status your family had been a part of. You got lifted out of anything, and you followed a head teacher, a head philosopher of your town, and you would move into a, light, a life of the elite. You would be praised wherever you went. You could become a Pharisee. You could become a priest. You could become the upper echelon of your community if a rabbi came by and said to you, follow me. If the rabbi passed you over after your schooling was done at age 10 or 11 or 12, you go back to your family, you go back to mom and dad, say, hey, um, my education's over. Time to take up the family business. Time to do what you called me to do. Time to go back to a normal life. And so Simon was probably like one of those boys that got passed up when he was young. And he went into the family business, and he went, and he became a fisherman. And a fisherman, it was not a glamorous job. This is kind of what um, they would do. They would go out in the middle of the night when things were quiet, when the fish were biting, or fish were out, and they would cast their nets all night. And these nets, they were made out of this thick rope and probably weighed 50 pounds to begin with, but the more you throw it over the boat the wetter it becomes and the heavier it gets. So all night long, you are throwing this net out and pulling it back in. Simon was doing that this night in the scripture, and, but he didn't catch anything. He'd been out all night throwing this 100-pound rope over the boat and back in without catching anything. Can you imagine what he was feeling? Have you ever worked a day and felt like you didn't get anything done that day, right? You know what that's like. So he's throwing out this net and bringing back in, and nothing comes in. Morning comes. What happens for fishermen is that all the fish merchants come out to the beach, and they yell out to the fishermen, Hey, do you got any fish? Well, I want to buy your fish. And so the fishermen would sell their fish to the merchants that morning, and uh, then the merchants would go into the markets and sell the fish. This morning, Simon didn't have any fish, so that meant he didn't get a paycheck right? 
So he's out there in the morning on the shores. He's washing his nets. He's got to get all the sand out of your nets. Otherwise, your nets could deteriorate. And you've got to keep your equipment clean because this is your livelihood. So he's cleaning his nets. And this morning, a rabbi comes by. His name is Jesus. Jesus had already been doing some miraculous things around. He'd already been talking to people. He's already been getting people excited about who he is and the types of things that are happening. And he goes up to Peter. He says, hey, can I get in your boat? Can you help me out a little bit? Peter probably rolls his eyes, thinks about it. Ugh, I just worked all day or all night. I didn't get paid for it. I just want to wash my nuts, and I just want to go home and go to sleep. But a rabbi says, hey, I need you for something. Can you help me out for a little bit? Simon says, okay. He acquiesces, and he takes the boat out onto the water a little bit, and Jesus stands in the boat. He allows the lake to amplify his voice to all the people on the shore as he teaches them. Now, we don't know uh, what Jesus said in that morning on that day, um, but I imagine that if you'd worked all night, didn't get paid for it, and then a preacher says, hey, can you come stand behind me while I preach for a couple hours to other people? You're probably not a happy camper, right? Unless it's me, of course. If, you, if I was asking you, you'd say, yeah, pastor, we're with you. So Simon is out here, and he is, I imagine, falling asleep during Jesus' sermon, during what Jesus' message is. And then Jesus turns and looks to Simon and says, hey, would you row out a little bit further and let's try to catch some fish? I imagine it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock in the morning at this point. He's washed his nets. He's given to this teacher. He's given to this rabbi. And you're like, now you want me to work again? You want me to pick up this net that seems to have dried out now and you want me to throw it back over the boat? No, no, I've been fishing all night. I've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. You've asked to use my boat. I've said yes. I just want to go home and go to sleep is probably what goes on in, in Simon Peter's mind. He, so he complains a little bit. He gives a little bit of a complaint. He says, no, look, oh, come on, it's late in the day. We've been, we've been at it all morning, all night, but we haven't caught anything. Are you sure you want me to do this? He like makes Jesus ask a, sec- a second time. Have you ever been in a position where you make Jesus ask you to do something a second time? Probably. Yeah. And Jesus is gracious. Jesus is gracious, says, just do it. See what happens. Peter picks up the net, angry, mad, tired, throws it over, starts to pull in, and there's a tug. He, he can't pull it in. He calls in some friends, hey, help me out. And the nets are starting to break because they're so full of fish. He calls in other boats. The, the boats start to sink because they're so full of fish. And he pulls them back out. And they get to shore. And the first thing that Peter does, oh, 
sorry, let me say this note up here. Peter half-heartedly agrees to Jesus' request, and then he immediately freaks out because he knows that he's a sinner. The moment he experiences this miracle, he says, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't deserve this. I shouldn't be the one getting this. I shouldn't have this happen to me. And he freaks out. He falls at Jesus' feet. He says, I'm a sinner. Please don't punish me. Please go away from me. You don't need to know what's going on in my life. You don't need to know who I am. I don't deserve this. I keep talking about what happened with me and Clementine and, and our family as a miracle. And it is. And I give thanks to God for it. But I also know, I know that there's a lot of people who are waiting for their miracles and they don't come as quickly as they came for us. I know that there are dads that did lose daughters. And I freak out a little bit. Why me? Why has God moved us, moved into our lives so quickly? And, and what did we do to deserve this? And, and I freak out and I think, oh my gosh, is this because... I'm a pastor. Is this because of my faith? Is this because we got the word out and hundreds and thousands of people all around the world were praying for Clementine so quickly? There are people in the Philippines and Vietnam and Mexico and Africa. There, somebody wrote Clementine's name on a piece of paper and slid it into the Western Wall in Jerusalem on that day. The prayers went out everywhere. And I think to myself, why did we experience this good fortune? Why did God move in our lives? Is it because of us? Is it because of me? What about the others? And then I look to Simon Peter. He did nothing to deserve this miracle. He didn't have the right faith. He didn't have a prayer network go out and pray for him, right? Why did he experience this miracle? What was so good about Peter? I want to say this. I think that when God intervenes, when God comes in and makes a miracle happen, it requires creaturely response, right? It requires um, us to say yes to God. It required all the people on that day for me. It required the teachers to act quickly. It required me to act quickly. It required the EMTs to act quickly. It required the surgeons and the nurses to act quickly and effectively. It required all these people to respond to God's notions to love and to do their very best that day. And everything happened just right. A miracle always requires creaturely response. It always requires our openness to cooperate with God. But it is not dependent on your belief or on your certainty. And I hear people so often say, I guess I just didn't pray hard enough. I guess I just didn't have the right faith. I wasn't strong enough. And this miracle that Peter experiences, it tells me, yeah, miracles do require some creaturely response and some creaturely uh, cooperation every time. And so all of us should open our hearts to God to cooperate with God as often as we can. But it's not dependent on your belief or on your faith. It's not dependent on your certainty. If you are still waiting for your miracle, don't beat yourself up. It's not because of your faith. It's not because of your lack of faith. Maybe there's other circumstances. I don't know. I don't know all the answers. I don't know who is not responding to God's love in a cooperative fashion. 
I don't know why. But when Peter falls down and says, I don't deserve this, Jesus doesn't correct him and say, oh yeah, you do. You deserve it. You're the best. You're the greatest. He doesn't do that. Besides, the miracle wasn't the goal anyway. The miracle wasn't the goal anyway. Jesus didn't show up that day to show some people an awesome trick, right? Jesus didn't show up that day to to gain his praise and so for everybody to be amazed by an illusion or by something magical or by a sign. Miracles aren't the goal. A life of partnering with Christ was the goal the whole time. He says to Simon, his name was Simon. Later on, he calls him Peter. Most of us uh, recognize him as Peter. And Jesus says to Peter, look, look, I love you. And from now on, I want you to partner with me. I want you to be done with your old life. I want you to be done with your normal life. From now on, you're going to be fishing for people. You're going to be capturing the hearts of other people. You're going to be welcoming them and bringing them into this movement, to this kingdom. Leave your old normal life behind and come and follow me. Akaluthemoi. Those words that Peter had been longing to hear his whole life, now he has a rabbi say, come and follow me. I think I've experienced a miracle in the last several weeks. I think Peter has experienced a miracle. But the miracle wasn't the goal. The miracle wasn't the end game. The end game was always a life partnering with Christ. Some people are just so stubborn and hard-headed that they're not going to do it until they see a miracle. (laughs) But blessed are those who enter into a life partnering with Christ and never see nets full of fish, never see a six-year-old survive an AVM rupture. Blessed are you who say today, I don't need normal. I need a life partnered with you. Take me wherever you go. Show me what you can do. That's what we do when we come to the scriptures. That's what we do when we enter into worship together. We say, God, we have needs, certainly. We have things that we pray for. We have ways that we want you to move and interact in this world. But God, we know what your goal is. Your goal is to bring all of creation and myself included into a relationship with you for our benefit and for the benefit of the world. And so, God, may it be so. I am yours and you are mine. When we come into worship, this is what we reaffirm. It's what I need to reaffirm this morning. That as God has given me my daughter over and over again, God has called us into a life of partnering with him. And so I commit God, I'm yours. You are mine. I don't need normal anymore. I need a life with you.